I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, October 18th, 2022, the 636th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. You'll be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide range of platforms. And all I ask is that you share it with your friends. So today is the release date of the documentary film version of Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci. And you can find that by going to therealanthonyfaucimovie.com. Now, I think that this has the potential to be really, truly enlightening for people who were big fans of COVID and played along with the whole COVID thing for a really long time. Maybe they even got vaxxed. Maybe they even got a booster. And by now, they have probably figured out that things are not what they thought they were. They put their trust in the wrong people and the wrong institutions. 
and they may be regretting it. They may be waking up to all of this and they're probably waking up to other things as well. Like you can't just automatically trust the government because it's the government and you can't just automatically trust the science because it's the science. So I think that this could be a very valuable piece of content that might change some minds and get people on the right track. So I do want to share the trailer, the audio of the trailer on the podcast, just because I don't want it to be one of those things where I say, hey, go watch this. And you think, oh, yeah, I should watch this. I want you to hear how powerful I think that this documentary will be. So if you've already seen the trailer or you're already planning on watching this, you can skip ahead. The trailer is about six minutes long and I want to play the whole thing. So if you just jump ahead to about nine and a half minutes, nine minutes, 45 seconds in, you'll be right there. You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Science has an air of authority. So people who want to push back on authority, push back on science. Science is about constant skepticism, constant questioning. And you didn't see any of that. You saw a narrative. In a 20-month period, they obliterated all the Bill of Rights, the United States Constitution, with no objection in the American press. Normalcy only returns when we've largely vaccinated the entire global population. If the FDA says it's okay to take the vaccine, are you going to take it? I'm going to look at the data upon which the FDA makes that decision. They pay us hundreds of millions of dollars a year to hire and keep the reviewers to approve their product. The CDC continues to recommend that people who have been previously infected get their COVID-19 vaccine. CDC studies suggest getting the vaccine will offer you much stronger immunity to COVID than natural immunity. She's had the flu for 14 days. Should she get a flu shot? Well, no. If she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. I've already had COVID, I'm protected, and now the study says maybe even more protected than the vaccine alone. Should they also get the vaccine? I don't have a really firm answer for you on that. People who have already had the virus be recommended to get the vaccine as well. The answer is yes. Over 11,000 pages were released. The first bombshell in the document is that natural immunity works and Pfizer knows it. And there were no hospitalizations or deaths in the individuals who were vaccinated. But you now have three highly efficacious vaccines. There's no doubt about that. And there've been no hospitalizations or deaths in multiple countries. Another revelation from the documents was that adverse reactions were more frequent and more severe. It interestingly states some facts that have been labeled by the mainstream media as being misinformation. The consent form lists several possible side effects, including myocarditis. A new study describes how 23 service members later developed chest pain and sought medical attention. 82,000 per year to 863,000 neurological issues which would affect our pilots. 
over a thousand percent increase in one year. And it looks like in the first three months there was 42,000 adverse events reported and 1,223 deaths. A total of 10,262 COVID-19 vaccine breakthrough infections had been reported from 46 U.S. states. If you get vaccinated, you are protected. For every one person that the vaccine saves from COVID, it kills four people from fatal cardiac arrest. If I want the population to ultimately accept my digital reality, I have to make sure the cognitive dissonance is so complete that you stop trusting your own brain. And guess what they've done? Exactly that. reason that only one drug has been made available, AZT, because it's the only drug that thus far has been shown in scientifically controlled trials to be safe and effective. counter-narrative that says the people who we think of as casualties of HIV were not actually dying from HIV, but they were dying from a medicine that was supposedly treating HIV, but was actually killing them. You can't take what's normally a decade-long process for developing a product and ensuring its safety and efficacy and compressing it into six to nine months and not cut some corners. That's just absurd. We did not fund gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of virology. The preponderance of evidence now points towards this coming from the lab, and what you've done is change the definition right. on your website to try to cover your ass, basically. Your own agency has rebuked them. We also now know that NIAID, the department associated with the National Institutes of Health, of which Dr. Anthony Fauci is in control, had already been conducting experiments with the Wuhan lab in the past in regard to coronavirus. Remdesivir better early on because it's an antiviral. This is the truth and it's based on data. That's what we live by. Data, evidence, truth. Science is about questioning authority. Anybody who says you I am the science is lying. When Joe Schmo says, I should retire, I should go to jail, I look at that and I go, forget that. And if you're attacking me, you're really attacking science. I mean, everybody knows that. You have said that I am unwilling to take any responsibility for the current pandemic. I have no responsibility for the current pandemic. Thank History you. will figure that out on its own. Okay, so if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that when the book, The Real Anthony Fauci, came out, I listened to it on audiobook. I thought it was incredible. It's absolutely mind-blowing how long this criminal enterprise directed by Anthony Fauci has been going on. It's been decades. And I think that this may be remembered as one of the most significant books of this era. But it's also a really dense book. If you're going to read it, you're going to be in there for a long time. Same thing with the audio book. It's about 27 hours of audio. 
to get through all of it. The book continues to be updated with new footnotes, added evidence and proof of the central thesis, and it is absolutely damning. Anthony Fauci is simply just an evil man. There's no other way to describe it. And the book will leave you with no doubt about that. The documentary is just easier. It's just an easier form. And people can watch the movie and then go back and read the book if they're not convinced or if they want to learn more. But I really do think that this is going to be a very important tool, especially right now as we lead into these midterms. So I want to make sure to get everybody's attention on this because this is the sort of thing that you can share with people who are either still addicted to COVID and you think maybe they might watch it. Maybe they can get through this. Maybe they'll have some new thoughts. That's great. But all those people who are really frustrated and understand that they've been tricked, that something really was wrong, but they don't really have a full grasp on it. This is going to be, I believe, really good for those people. If people can understand Anthony Fauci and what he's done, then they can understand what the people who have gone along with all of this have done. And that's why there was such a massive campaign when this book came out to ignore it and to call RFK Jr. a conspiracy theorist. The book wasn't reviewed by any of the major publications, even as it sold over a million copies. That's absolutely unheard of. And the reason they didn't review it was because they didn't even want anyone to know it existed because they can't refute the book. If they could refute the book and the claims about Anthony Fauci and the claims about the American medical industry, the pharma companies, etc., then why aren't they suing Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? And of course, that's because they can't. Everything he says, everything he puts forward is well documented. So carve out some time to watch the movie. Share it with people you know who you think might be open to learning more about what's been done. But I also want to just say this. It is entirely possible that there is stuff in that movie that's going to make Donald Trump look bad. We're just going to have to deal with that. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is a lifelong Democrat. And he might not be a Democrat any longer. He might not support any of the global agenda any longer. I don't know. But this isn't about Donald Trump or how this movie makes Donald Trump look. The focus is Anthony Fauci. I am more than happy for people to still be mad at Donald Trump as long as they understand that this is what happened. This is who Fauci is. And that's enough. Because there is not a person anywhere who doesn't understand that Anthony Fauci and Donald Trump were placed in opposition to one another. That's how they exist in the collective consciousness of people addicted to the central narrative. They know that Anthony Fauci was the good guy. Donald Trump is the bad guy. There's a total separation there. Now, there are people, even people in the Republican establishment, who are blaming Donald Trump for various elements of the pandemic. And they're doing that so that someone else will take over the Republican Party and so that they don't have to ever support Trump fully. They never have to defend Trump. Trump was always the bad guy. And Anthony Fauci is also the bad guy. And they're prepared to die on that hill. They got the one side right, the other side wrong, and it just doesn't matter to them. 
because that's all that exists in their little informational bubble. You don't need to fix these people. They're probably not fixable. But all of those people who are open to the idea that they have been tricked and that Anthony Fauci helped to trick them are going to get a lot out of this. We don't need to get them all the way to understanding that Donald Trump is good. Let them get here and that'll be enough. Now, yesterday, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa put out this press release on his official Senate site, grassley.senate.gov. FBI possesses significant, impactful, voluminous evidence of potential criminality in Biden family business arrangements. Senate Judiciary Committee ranking member Chuck Grassley is calling on the FBI to produce specific records in its possession indicating potential criminal activity in the Biden family's foreign business deals. It remains unclear whether those FBI records, which have been reviewed by Grassley's investigative staff, have been shared with the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office as part of its ongoing criminal investigation into Hunter Biden. Since first raising questions about bias by senior leadership, and a double standard by the FBI in politically sensitive investigations, numerous whistleblowers have made legally protected disclosures substantiating these concerns. And the press release quotes from a prior Grassley statement. Notably, the Justice Department and FBI have not disputed the accuracy of the allegations that I have made public since May 31st, 2022. The Justice Department's and FBI's continued silence on these matters is deafening and further erodes their credibility. Simply put, enough is enough. The Justice Department and FBI must come clean to Congress and the American people with respect to the steps they have taken or failed to take relating to the Hunter Biden investigation, Grassley wrote in a letter to FBI and Justice Department leadership, as well as the Delaware U.S. Attorney. In the letter, Grassley attached a contract signed by Hunter and James Biden and three other business associates. The contract was part of an arrangement designed to funnel $5 million from the Chinese Communist government-connected CEFC to Hunter and James Biden to compensate them for work done while Joe Biden was vice president, according to an FBI interview summary of Tony Bobolinsky. But other records held by the FBI reveal frustration by the Bidens about CEFC's payment being delayed. Records previously released by Grassley and Senator Ron Johnson show James and Hunter Biden ultimately profited from a $5 million payment from a company connected to CEFC via a separate agreement. Other records held by the FBI shed light on Hunter Biden's business and financial relationship with Burisma owner Mikola Zlochevsky. These documents include specific details about conversations by non-government individuals relevant to potential criminal conduct by Hunter Biden. These documents also indicate that Joe Biden was aware of Hunter Biden's business arrangements and may have been involved in some of them. It remains unclear whether the FBI took appropriate steps to follow up on this information or passed it to the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office. And as you might expect, people on very serious intellectual Twitter had no idea what to do with this. There was a big blow up on Twitter last night. They thought Chuck Grassley was old and unable to form coherent thoughts because he called Joe Biden James Biden. That was the big critique, except Joe Biden's not James Biden and Chuck Grassley didn't call Joe Biden, James Biden, Chuck Grassley called Joe Biden, Joe Biden and James Biden, James Biden, because there is a James Biden 
and it's Joe Biden's brother. And he was involved with the family business, too. But they don't understand any of that because at first they were told that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. They were told that by 51 former intelligence officials who signed a letter saying that Hunter Biden's laptop had all the markings of a Russian disinformation campaign. They said, oh, hey, we don't have any evidence that we can show you that suggests that's true, but it has all the markings of something that the Russians would do. Well, it didn't have all the markings. The main one being that the underlying thing actually does exist and is true, which all of them already knew at the time. And of course they did because the FBI had that laptop from December of 2019. It had been in their possession for a full 10 months before the mainstream media began reporting about the laptop prior to the 2020 election. And the FBI knew of the laptop's existence even long prior to that. So everyone knew the laptop was real and they lied about it anyway. The FBI went to the social media companies and said, hey, there might at some point arise an issue that we are going to need you to know immediately is Russian disinformation. Now, we don't know what it's going to be, but something might come up and it might be Russian disinformation. So just keep your eyes open. We'll be in touch. And then when the Hunter Biden laptop comes out, they say to the social media companies, hey, this is that Russian disinformation we were talking about. You can't put it online. If anybody reports about it, you can't put that online either. It's all Russian disinformation. And if you're not ready to censor everything about it, then you are a Putin puppet. It's just like what happens when you mention Ukrainian Nazis. You can't do that or else you're a Putin stooge. Regardless of the fact that the mainstream media and leftist media has been reporting about Ukrainian Nazis and how the CIA trained them for years and years. And regardless of the fact that it's mentioned in U.N. documents and regardless of the fact that it's mentioned in U.S. Congress documents, Democrat communist Ro Kahana wasn't a big fan of Ukrainian Nazis a few years ago. Now they're just fine. But let's just leave that aside. So think about this from the mainstream perspective. Initially, the laptop was Russian disinformation. Then they found out the laptop was real the entire time. They've been told by Joe Biden and the people around him that Joe Biden was never involved in his son's foreign business dealings. And so people accepted that even if the laptop was real, even if what they say is true, then it's not a Joe Biden problem. It's just a Hunter Biden problem. Hunter's a messed up guy. Yeah, he likes hookers. Yeah, he likes tons and tons of drugs with hookers. Yes, he's sleeping with his brother's widow. Yes, he likes tons and tons of drugs with his brother's widow around their kids. And yes, he has a weird sexual relationship with his brother's widow's sister, too. But that's just Hunter being Hunter. Of course, he's going to run into a bad business deal here and there. But it's not a Joe Biden problem. Joe Biden was never involved in his son's business dealings. Over and over and over again, as if that even makes sense. Hunter's business dealings 
were solely based on the fact that Hunter Biden is Joe Biden's son. Hunter doesn't get any of those business dealings without selling Joe Biden's influence. That's what the deals are about. But people deny that and deny that. And they don't know about James Biden. They don't know anything about the Biden family. They were told Joe Biden is a moderate. Joe Biden is going to put decency back in the White House. And they have no interest in believing they were wrong about that. They have no interest in it being proven that they have been duped again. They believe that they are the sort of people who simply can't get duped. They just observe what comes in and believe the right beliefs, and ultimately they'll be right. And if they're not right, well, everybody else was wrong too. So they don't have to feel stupid. They don't have to feel tricked. Everybody was tricked just like them. All the very smart people got tricked, and those smart people are just like them. And they have all the same priorities. That's how they know that those people are like them. And they know they're smart because they have blue checks next to their names on Twitter and they have these big platforms. They get to be on the news because of how smart they are. And no matter how many times you prove these people wrong or the people who follow them wrong, it doesn't matter because these are the smartest people. These are the people with the authority. These are the people you have to listen to. It's the same as trusting the science. Well, the smart people can't be wrong because the smart people are like us and I always agree with them. Therefore, since I'm smart and they're smart, then we must all be right. And this is what has guided them for years and years. It actually reminds me of one of my favorite Mitch Hedberg jokes. I've had four AIDS tests in my day. The AIDS test is very scary to get. It doesn't matter what you've been doing. Waiting for the results is frightening. So I don't get the regular AIDS tests anymore. I get the roundabout AIDS test. I call my friend Brian. I say, Brian, do you know anybody who has AIDS? <laughs> no? Cool. Because <laughs> you know me. Now, maybe that seems silly, but that's exactly what they're doing. They're just basically asking people that they have come to trust for some reason, usually based on those people's social class status. And they say, hey, that Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation, isn't it? And the people they ask will say, yeah, totally. 51 former intelligence officials just said it was Russian disinformation. Joe Biden went up on a debate stage and said, that's been totally discredited. That's been totally discredited. But none of them checked and none of them know. And so what happened was they just basically reconfirmed one another's biases. And they figured, well, there's no way that we're both wrong about it. That's not possible. But of course, they are wrong and they could have checked and could have known, but they don't want to believe things like that because if they're wrong about any of it, they have this deep-seated suspicion that that would mean they're wrong about all of it. And then they think, well, I can't be wrong about all of it. And all these very smart people, the people like me, they couldn't be all wrong about all of it either. That's just not possible. Therefore, we're all right about all of it without checking. And why would they bother checking? Who's going to dispute them? <laughs> Just 
conspiracy theorists and spreaders of disinformation, not the people who are lying to them all the time, who are wrong about absolutely everything. Nope, it's the conspiracy theorists. They're the ones spreading disinformation. We are talking about people who just realized yesterday that Joe Biden has a brother named James. And many of these people probably still don't understand that. They think that Chuck Grassley is an old man who's misspeaking. The same people who voted for Joe Biden think Chuck Grassley is an old man who says wrong things. And this is one of those times where when these people do this, when they argue and tell you that this stuff doesn't matter or it's not real, the response is not, hey, let's play a game of links so I can show you that you're wrong. The response is to laugh in their faces and say, you don't really believe that, do you? We all have this strange reverence for these people that act like they're experts about everything, even though it's been proven time and time again that not only do they not know anything and don't reach the right conclusions, but that they're simply not checking at all. And I discussed this at length yesterday, so I'm not going to go back into it. But these people are not curious. It actually is a good refutation of all their points to say to them, if you actually cared about this, you would know by now the fact that they are in the position they're in believing the things they believe without knowing anything about election fraud or the insurrection or covid or masks or vaccines or lockdowns or Ukraine or immigration or inflation or critical race theory or the gender agenda or climate change, or abortion, or anything else. That is what shows you that they're not curious and they're not open-minded. They are just receivers of information and repeaters of information. That information comes from the top down. The information is produced by authoritative sources. It's produced by the experts, by the scientists, by former intelligence officials. And then it's passed down through the media. The media disseminates all that information with all the slogans, all the meaning already built in. And then people just repeat that information and repeat that information. And when they arrive at points of doubt, they will seek out information that will ease their doubts. They don't seek out information that will confirm their doubts, that will lead them on a path to discovery. They will see a fact check from Reuters or PolitiFact. And they'll think, I knew I shouldn't have been curious in the first place. I trust these people. They know what's best for me. And if people don't accept the fact checks quickly enough, the media will produce a whole new round of stories supporting the original narrative. It's always passed down from the top. That is the worst possible way an information stream could ever flow. And that is why these people are wrong again and again and again. Our information is not that way. Our information comes from the bottom up. It comes from people who have those doubts, who are naturally skeptical, doing the critical thinking necessary with the curiosity, and then going in and doing the work to find new information. And that information is passed among their peers. And as it is passed among their peers, their peers will vet that information. And people will say, ah, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. Are you sure about this? Are you sure about this? And if you can't answer their questions, 
then maybe you go back and get more information. And if you can't substantiate your point of view any further than that, then maybe you give that point of view away. Or maybe you say, you know what? I'm not sure I have this right, but I still have a lot of doubt. What I don't doubt is that the media is trying to mislead me again. So I'm going to keep searching here. And the information continues to be vetted. The information that people are like, oh, yeah, that is 100% right. I can totally see that happening. That is proven. You find it in a government document. You find it in a scientific paper from 20 years ago. That's pretty solid evidence. You share evidence like that and it moves up through the information stream. And as it does, more eyes will be on that evidence. Eventually, it will reach experts and scientists and mathematicians. It'll reach people who will come to the information with a wealth of their own knowledge and experience from a lifetime involved with the issues being analyzed, and they will analyze and vet that information, and then it'll be passed along again. And that process will repeat until someone with a platform will begin relaying that information to much wider audiences. Someone like Tucker Carlson, someone like Dan Bongino. Now, I don't love what either of them do all the time because I think that the content they produce shows that they are significantly behind on an important timeline, but I respect their function to whatever degree they think they're doing the best thing. Now, I don't know if either of them actually think they are, or maybe they're part of some plan and they're being instructed. I'm open to all the possibilities, and I'm certainly not trying to besmirch their character, but that is basically information flowing from the bottom up to the top. And once it reaches that upper area, where people with large platforms can disseminate that information, that's when the truth ends up going mainstream. And you see that process happen over and over again among a range of different verticals and stories that just build continuously through cycles and cycles of reruns. And we might think, oh, hey, I knew that a year ago, but there are a lot of people that don't know it even now. And so for them, these reruns are very important. Now, at some point, those reruns reach the very serious intellectuals on Twitter, and then they will still attempt to refute the true information by doubling down and doubling down again about all the false things they've said in support of some belief that for them is foundational, not realizing they had just simply received that information from the top down from a source that they deemed to be authoritative even though they didn't check. Don't argue with these people. They are not open to argument. If they were, they would have checked. If they were curious, they would have checked. If they were critical thinkers, they would have figured out long ago that something was seriously wrong with everything that's been happening. Laugh at these people in their faces, in public, right to them. You don't really believe that, do you? And if you think I mean for saying that you should laugh at other people, consider what those other people have been supporting and what they've been saying should happen to people like you. And I know, I know it's not you. They'll have the conversations in your presence and talk about how dumb and racist Trump supporters are, how science deniers are stupid and vaccine deniers are stupid, how everybody's telling the big lie. And if they keep doing it, there's going to be another insurrection, but it's not you. It's not you. They're just making sure that you hear everyone except you thinks 
people like you are the bad guys. People like them are very, very smart. People like you are very, very bad, but not you, not you. You're one of the good ones. I would imagine that most of you have been very nice and very open and very polite and very compassionate with the people you've been trying to wake up over these past couple years, and you probably haven't gotten the same in return. I would suggest just maybe that you might try another tactic that for once shifts the emotional weight of their bad beliefs onto them because they've been trying to shift the weight of their bad beliefs onto you this entire time, no matter what the costs. And the other thing is that you're just going to have to be satisfied to let reality prove you right. Even if the people you've been trying to convince will never understand, it doesn't matter at all. The Marco Polo report on the Hunter Biden laptop is coming any day now. I don't know exactly what day it's coming, but it's coming soon. Garrett said last week it was coming this week. We'll see. But it's coming. It's done. And I've read parts of it. It is absolutely damning. That family has been a disgusting mess of criminals, degenerates, and perverts for decades and decades. You do not have to take an intellectually subservient position or morally subservient position to the people arguing with you when they have supported all of this. And when this is the man they decided to put their trust in for who should lead this country. So let's move to the elections. Today, former White House spokescommunist and current TV person Jen Psaki tweeted this. Holy moly, Siena New York Times poll, quote, more than a third of independent voters and a smaller but noteworthy contingent of Democrats say they were open to supporting candidates who reject the legitimacy of the 2020 election, end quote, as they focus on economic issues. Now, why would Jen Psaki post that and why would she frame it that way? Well, the way she frames it makes it sound like she's really surprised, like these are really big numbers, more than a third of independents and a smaller but noteworthy contingent of Democrats would actually vote for an election denier? It can't be. That's impossible. But the truth is that those numbers are actually much higher. Over 50% of the country believes that election fraud changed the outcome of the 2020 election. They believe the election was stolen. Of course, they're not going to have a problem voting for someone else who believes the election was stolen. What she's actually doing is making people think, oh, so yeah, two thirds of independents will not vote for someone who thinks the election was stolen. Here's how the New York Times frames it. Voters see democracy in peril, but saving it isn't a priority. Voters overwhelmingly believe American democracy is under threat, but seem remarkably apathetic about that danger with few calling it the nation's most pressing problem, according to a New York Times Siena College poll. In fact, more than a third of independent voters and a smaller but noteworthy contingent of Democrats said they were open to supporting candidates who reject the legitimacy of the 2020 election as they assigned greater urgency to their concerns about the economy than to fears about the fate of the country's political system. Now, you might have noticed that something is already very wrong with the framing. 
If you were to say to someone or you were to even ask yourself, are you concerned about the state of America's democracy? You would get a lot of people saying yes, but they're saying yes for different reasons. I'm concerned about the state of America's democracy. Not that it is a democracy. It's a republic. But I'm concerned because there's election fraud in all of our elections at all levels. Nothing could be more concerning than that. And of course, the communists are concerned because they think that all of us are attacking democracy by denying the legitimacy of elections. Well, we're denying the legitimacy of the elections because the elections are not legitimate. If we were to answer the question, though, whether we think American democracy is under threat, we would both say yes, but for entirely different reasons. So assuming that after we say yes, then we might think that the way to solve that is by voting for candidates who would say that the elections are safe and secure. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Of course, we want to preserve the country and its constitution. The way to do that is by voting only for candidates who understand that the elections were illegitimate. But the New York Times ignores that completely in their framing. They want people to believe that everyone is concerned the same way their child-brained readers are concerned. So here is how they go about asking the question. Voters who are open to candidates who reject 2020 election results. Thinking about a candidate for political office who you agree with on most positions, how comfortable would you be voting for that candidate if they say they think the 2020 election was stolen? Among registered voters that they polled, 792 registered voters from October 9th to 12th, with voters self-identifying by party and then the polling company Waiting those results based on what they think that the party affiliation numbers look like, which is obviously an assumption that will be skewed if you're the New York Times, and then assuming that you're actually capturing real Republicans and genuine independents, which they are almost definitely not doing because a lot of those people have no interest in talking to pollsters. You end up with a lot of variables before you even consider what their final results are. So here are the final results. Registered voters, people who answered this question, they'd be very comfortable with voting for a candidate if they say they think the election was stolen. 18% overall, very comfortable. Another 21% somewhat comfortable, 14% not too comfortable, and 40% not at all. So among the respondents, 54% say that they would be not too comfortable or not at all comfortable voting for a candidate who says the 2020 election is stolen. The New York Times is presenting this as a 54-39 issue with another 7% undecided. The top line number for them and their framing, what they are going to convince people is true is that 54% of the country is going to reject candidates who say they think the election was stolen. Only 37% of independents responded that they would be comfortable or somewhat comfortable. 71% of Republicans somewhat comfortable or very comfortable. And they're going to spread these numbers far and wide. They can make this seem bad and seem threatening to the child brains in their audience. But what this ultimately does is, is confirm the child brain's idea that people really don't like election deniers. 
They're going to say these numbers are bad for them. These numbers are actually very good for them. And that's why they produced these numbers. And here's another interesting section of this New York Times article. Voters also signaled a bipartisan willingness to support a president who goes outside of the existing rules. A third, including similar shares in both parties, said presidents should do what they think is right, even if it might flout the rules. Now, again, Donald Trump hasn't been breaking any of the rules. There's no rule against declaring that a stolen election was stolen. Joe Biden, on the other hand, is abusing every single element of the American government, including its law enforcement agencies, to stifle dissent. 26% of voters said they had heard about 2,000 mules, a widely debunked movie purporting to show that absentee ballots were stuffed in drop boxes to help Democrats win in 2020. Of those who had heard of the film, 34% found it to be believable and 45% said they did not know enough to say. Just 2% of Republicans who had heard about the movie found it not believable. Of course it's believable. It's true. Only 4% of all voters said they found QAnon conspiracy theories, which make bizarre false claims about a satanic cult of Democrats to be believable. But the vast majority of Republicans, 73%, said they did not know enough about the theories to say, rather than rejecting them outright. And isn't that amazing? They're presenting that as the stupid view. Saying that you do not know enough about an issue to make a decision isn't a stupid position. It is the default position when you don't know enough about an issue. It would be incredible if any Democrat was taking that approach. I would love for them to actually find out how many Democrats have any idea that QAnon, first of all, is not a real thing or even what Q is. They just don't know. But they're very, very confident. And why are they very confident? Because they believe that everybody like them, you know, very, very smart people, also knows how stupid QAnon, that's not a real thing, is. And so what you have here with this article and this poll is an attempt at creating a narrative. They are seeding the idea that the voters on November 8th are going to reject election deniers and polls like this one will be how the media backfills their narrative. They'll say, oh, you know, we just polled this three weeks ago and it turns out that actually 54% of the country was not comfortable with voting for someone who said that the election in 2020 was stolen. So it's absolutely no surprise that voters rejected election deniers around the country. They will attempt to do this. And of course, they're going to attempt to cheat. It's going to be a matter of how much of the election fraud can be mitigated and where places that don't have mail in ballots, if they don't have another option on how to replace those and get the amount of election fraud they had planned. Well, those places are going to be very obvious in their results. One of those places is Joe Biden's Delaware, where they're going to have to find another way since mail-in ballots have been ruled illegal. And one of those ways is by just going ahead with mail-in ballots anyway and saying, well, I guess you guys can sue us after, and then we're going to get those cases kicked out of court 
And then we're going to pretend that there was no election fraud and you can't prove it because we won't let you look. And very serious intellectuals will cheer and they'll say, we told you there was no election fraud, you stupid, stupid people. Yeah, sure, guys. This is from Newsweek today. Democrats are squirming to limit November losses. It's not working. Please consider where our nation is in its history, implored lame duck Congresswoman Liz Cheney on October 13th at what will likely be the last public hearing of the House of Representatives Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Consider whether we can survive for another 246 years, she added with the aching despair one might expect from a woman who lost her primary by 37 points and has no future in American electoral politics. Cheney's committee is so vital to American democracy, in fact, that it has held only one hearing since July and took a two-week summer vacation. Convening last week, its most significant actions were to release additional inconclusive footage of the events of January 6th, 2021, and to vote to subpoena documents and testimony from former President Donald Trump. Curiously, the committee had not subpoenaed Trump or his documents at any previous time in its 14-month history, despite having interviewed more than a thousand witnesses and reviewed hundreds of thousands of documents. On the same day as the investigation's likely last public hearing, the government of Saudi Arabia claimed that President Joe Biden had unsuccessfully pleaded with it to delay planned cuts in oil production by one month apparently in hope that a larger energy supply would reduce U.S. gas prices before November's midterm elections. Barring a midterm variant in the increasingly normalized COVID-19 pandemic, getting Trump and trying to lower gas prices may well be the Democratic Party's last gasp before facing a Republican onslaught next month. Neither is practical or likely to have much effect. Both stink of desperation. And the writer, Paul D. Quinoy, I hope I'm saying that right, is absolutely correct. Democrats on Twitter are now trying to fire up all new narratives about how they are going to erase everyone's college debt. That's never going to happen. They're talking about how Social Security payments are going to go up in the new year. Well, they were already going up. And now they're talking about how people can get free $3,000 hearing aids. As part of Medicare, that is what Democrats are touting as key issues to their voters. They are basically attempting to buy votes. It's pathetic. Democrats' desperation is understandable. Despite a flurry of legislative activity over the summer and left-wing activism following the Supreme Court ruling that overturned Roe versus Wade earlier this year, the Biden administration has had few successes and many failures. Inflation remains sky high despite Biden's repeated assurances that it was only a temporary problem. The technical recession currently in progress is widely predicted to get worse in the coming months. Crime is rampant thanks to Democrat-sponsored social and criminal justice policies. Democrat-sponsored woke initiatives in media, education, culture, employment, health care, and other important sectors are unpopular and widely believed to be unfair and discriminatory. Absent foreign policy leadership has seen American power and influence crumble while the world has become a much more dangerous place than it was just two years ago. Nuclear war looms more heavily now than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Virtually all polls, which usually overstate Democratic strength, show the Republicans winning majorities in both houses of Congress next month. Trump, who is widely expected to run for reelection in 2024, remains overwhelmingly popular within the Republican Party. 
Many polls even show him winning a popular vote majority in a hypothetical rematch against Biden and leading in most or all of the 2020 swing states. And how does that happen? Donald Trump could win the popular vote. I thought he lost by six and a half million votes, you know, because everybody hates Donald Trump so much, even though he added a full 20 percent to his 2016 vote total. The House January 6th committee's work has been lengthy, voluminous and media savvy. Its hearings have been staged by a professional television producer. Most of them, including this probable last one, have been broadcast live by all major network and cable television outlets. Nevertheless, the American public remains unconvinced. According to a CNN poll conducted after the last live hearings in July, more than half either see the investigation as a transparently political attempt to smear Trump or have not paid enough attention to the hearings to have an opinion. Trump's poll numbers have barely changed. Cheney, on the other hand, lost her primary election to a Trump-endorsed challenger who is certain to replace her in January, while Adam Kinzinger, the committee's only other Republican member, and also a committed never-Trumper, prudently chose not to run for re-election. Far from springing an October surprise, voting to subpoena Trump merely adds to the non-drama. It even carries risks. If Trump is disinclined to testify, legal challenges could delay his appearance for months or even years, adding to the perception that he is the victim of a relentless political witch hunt designed to frustrate or prevent his candidacy. If Trump does testify, he could state, without any solid evidence to the contrary, that he called for and expected the January 6th demonstration to be peaceful. He could also state for the record that the committee curiously failed to call anyone with immediate responsibility for the Capitol's security to testify publicly, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, and the former police chief of the Capitol Police. In either case, it is unlikely that the former president could be brought before the committee in time for the elections or before the committee is due to deliver its already delayed final report on November 29th. Nor is it likely that a House Republican majority would permit it to continue. If the Saudi charges against Biden's energy diplomacy are true or even merely perceived to be true, then yet another ill-conceived gambit has blown up in the administration's face. The Saudis confirmed they will not delay their planned oil production cut. This means energy prices, which had come down somewhat in recent months, will likely be on the rise again when voters cast their ballots in November. It also suggests that Biden, for all his vaunted foreign policy experience, has no influence whatsoever over a longtime American strategic partner, even as, and almost certainly because, he is caving to Iran to restore the deeply flawed and strategically dangerous Obama-era nuclear deal. The Saudis' revelation of Biden's possible unlawful collusion with a foreign power to influence American elections could also blow up on the president, should the new Republican congressional majorities choose to investigate it and other scandals once they come into office in January. These October duds may not be the last gasps of the fading American left, but they do not augur well for Democrats' chances in November. They also keep national attention focused firmly on their biggest bugbear, the once and perhaps future president, Donald J. Trump. These people are being destroyed right in front of your eyes. All you have to do is witness it. A fraudulent election in the midterms does not change that. Even if they somehow figure out a way to steal enough elections in the midterms, it doesn't change that. This underlying reality remains true. The underlying reality of election fraud remains true. 
It was all true in 2020. It is still true now. I can't say how much the election fraud is going to be mitigated. I can say if they attempt to pull off enough election fraud to keep themselves in power, it's going to be absolutely obvious to everyone, which means we will deal with it as it comes. They may well steal another election and we are going to have to buckle down and handle it. But in order for them to pull it off, they need to have the narratives in place that people will believe. People have to believe that the results are real and not everybody, just enough people to try to silence the people talking about election fraud. We already know that the election fraud system is big enough to cheat enough. That's how they made sure that Gavin Newsom did not get recalled last year. And we know that not as many people generally vote in the midterms as in the presidential elections. In the presidential elections, they had more than enough names on the voter registry so that they could harvest ballots and fill the elections with fraudulent votes. They still have that amount in most places. They need to figure out ways so that they can say Democrats actually ended up really turning out. I would guess that their strategy from this point forward is to say that they're expecting a high turnout midterm for Democrats. Something is really going to motivate the Democrats to go out to the polls. I mean, to fill out their very real ballots at home and send them in. But all that remains to be seen. For now, we should be realizing what the reality is in the minds of American voters and the political situation we are in. The Democrats are being rejected everywhere. And it's not just their terrible candidates who are absolutely awful in every way imaginable. It's also their policies, which people do not like. Abortion is not a majority issue for Democrats, no matter how many times they say it, nor are the rest of their issues. But it's not even just the candidates and the policies and the issues. It's also the fact that people are experiencing life and how this country is being run into the ground and they know whose fault it is. It's not Donald Trump's fault. It's not MAGA Republicans fault. It's not QAnon's fault. It's their fault because they have a terrible agenda that works in direct opposition to the will of the American people, the way it is intended to work. People are realizing that and rejecting it. Now, you may have seen yesterday that Gavin Newsom announced that California's state of emergency is set to expire at the end of February of next year. So another four and a half months of a covid state of emergency in California. Why do they need that? The pandemic is over. The pandemic has not been an emergency the whole time. And I remember what we all saw and what we all experienced. But there was not one single time ever in the country where hospitals were forced to triage care, where they were forced to decide who gets care and who doesn't. And I know we got all the reports about how the hospitals were at 95 percent capacity. 97% capacity. If you don't wear your masks, everyone is going to have COVID. And now we're finally going to have to triage care. We didn't have to at the beginning. We didn't have to in the Delta wave. We have never had to do that. There was not one single time where someone was not able to receive care for COVID. In fact, they were making more people have care for COVID than even had COVID. 
And we know that because the tests were false. The tests were set up to yield 90 plus percent false positives. And once they received those false positives, especially if they got them while already being at the hospital for something else, they were put on a very dangerous hospital protocol, which consisted of remdesivir, which they knew to cause acute renal failure. And then people were put on ventilators, which they knew would kill them. But at no point were hospitals triaging care. And if hospitals weren't triaging care, then we didn't have an emergency. Because as we know, none of the mitigation techniques worked or could have worked. Lockdowns were anti-science. Masks were anti-science. Social distancing, they just made up. No one was helped by sterilizing their hands or the things that they touched. Absolutely none of that was ever true. So there was no emergency, but that didn't matter to them because when the state of emergency is declared, they get all sorts of new powers and they can access all sorts of new money. And that is what Gavin Newsom in California wants the power and the money. So Gavin has decided to keep that going in California for another four and a half months. Even decrepit old degenerate pervert Joe Biden, who was literally hitting on a 13 year old over the weekend, said the pandemic was over. But pandemics are never over. Even if the covid pandemic is over, there can always be more pandemics. In fact, yesterday we found out that a research team at Boston University was busy creating a brand new virus, a COVID strain that has an 80% kill rate. And what are they testing it on? Humanized mice. And I may have more on that at some point this week because I am trying to run down exactly how these mice were humanized and what sort of human tissue was used to humanize them. But despite the fact that Boston University is creating a virus this deadly and this dangerous, it is absolutely certain that there is no way COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 was created in a lab or ever got out of a lab or was ever taken out of a lab and used as a bioweapon. That's just not true. That's a conspiracy theory. This sort of thing doesn't happen. It's so evil. That's why it doesn't happen. Because no one is evil enough to do something like this. Certainly not a lot of people. And there's certainly not a lot of people that are evil enough to go along with something like that if it was done. Therefore, it's never happened. And I know, I know. They're just creating this virus in the lab so that they can figure out how to defeat the virus in case it ever emerges in the wild, you know? I mean, yeah, even though they created it in a lab, they... You know, they have to figure out like, okay, so yes, we created this in a lab and we've never seen anything like this in the wild. But if we did see something like this in the wild, well, then we better be able to fix it. And if we need to be able to fix something like the thing we created in the wild, well, we're going to need to create something like that in order to fix it. You got it. That's the science. And because, you know, accidents happen. The most responsible thing is to get ahead of any of those kinds of accidents. And so this is from Politico today. 
Biden admin unveils new pandemic preparedness and biodefense strategy. President Joe Biden is expected to sign a national security memorandum Tuesday that aims to ensure the U.S. is ready to detect and respond to the next large scale viral or biological threat. The memo will direct officials across 20 agencies, including in the intelligence community, to prioritize biodefense and pandemic preparedness, according to a senior administration official. The plan pulls from goals set by the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy that focus on the U.S. investing in research and development of tools that would help expand the country's early warning systems. Oh, money is going to go to more public health agencies. Let's empower them further. They were just trying to help the entire time. They had no plan. They weren't running a scheme. They were trying to help to the best of their ability. And accidents happen. You know, sometimes the science changes. No one can predict it. The strategy could take years to implement. Another senior administration official said on Monday, noting that the U.S. needs time and resources to develop shots, drugs and tests for potentially dozens of pathogens. Well, if that's what they're doing to better respond to the next pandemic, how are they going to develop shots, drugs and tests for a pandemic that just emerges from the wild? Something that they won't know. Well, I guess they better develop more viruses in the lab. And wait a second. Aren't the same people who develop the viruses and all of their peers and colleagues and allies, aren't those the same people who develop the drugs and the shots and the tests? Aren't those all funded by the exact same people and the exact same federal agencies underneath the U.S. government and Department of Defense? Well, yes, they are. And now they're going to do it dozens of times. Got it. The federal government also seeks to develop the infrastructure to distribute these tools to Americans in a relatively short time should an outbreak occur. For example, the U.S. wants to develop and manufacture enough shots to cover the country's population within 130 days following the emergence of a new viral threat, the official said. What does that sound like? Well, it sounds to me like they plan to turn the fear all the way up and then deliver a product that everyone is more likely to take in their state of fear. They've realized that over the long term, people stop believing what they're saying and then are less likely to adopt their new product rollout. So the best strategy to ensuring that people will take their shots and will take their drugs and will take their tests is to push it all on them through a perfect infrastructure right when everyone is the most scared. But that kind of effort will need significant funding, tens of billions of dollars, and will likely require the federal government to partner with industry and philanthropic organizations. They are giving you the whole structure here, okay? It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. This is the system. They're talking about using taxpayer dollars to finance every element of this system by the exact same people who brought you the last system. But Biden's announcement comes at a time when the administration is in negotiations with lawmakers on Capitol Hill about additional funding for the domestic and global COVID and monkeypox fights. 
There is no domestic or global COVID or monkeypox fight. Both of those issues are irrelevant and dead. Not to the scientists, I know, and not to the media who repeats everything the scientists say, I know. But in reality, those are not issues. Many Republicans have pushed back on the requests, questioning why the administration wants more money for a fight the president has signaled is winding down. That is not what the president signaled. He said in no uncertain terms that the pandemic is over. He said it on national television, but they're just going to soften what he said. They're going to reframe what he said and make it sound the way they want it to sound. In his 2023 budget, Biden asked Congress for $88 billion over five years to help combat pandemics and biological threats. The funding has yet to be approved, but the administration is moving forward with its expansive plan with the idea that Congress will sign off on the money to help the country prepare for another virus like COVID-19. Well, when would Congress sign off on that money? I mean, there's only three weeks from today until the midterms. And then at that point, the lame duck period starts. And at that point, there are going to be probably a hundred or more people sitting in Congress who will not ever sit in Congress again. And one might think that would be the best time for billionaire philanthropists and pharmaceutical companies to buy off congressmen and secure their vote to approve all of this money. So let's see if that's when it happens. It's certainly not going to happen under the Republican Congress that comes in in January. We are already implementing key actions in the strategy under a baseline budget that amounts to billions of dollars annually, said another senior administration official. But to really fully transform our pandemic preparedness and biodefense capabilities, additional resources are needed. Preparedness financing actually has tremendous returns for the American taxpayer. You get it? Every dollar you spend will actually come back and be much more than one dollar when it comes back. That dollar of tax money you spend, oh, it's basically like purchasing Bitcoin at the beginning. It's just going to roll back to you in spades. You're going to be so wealthy due to our new pandemic preparedness program. Oh, you don't want it because you don't believe anything we do and you don't trust any of the people involved in public health. No matter. Just trust the money. We're going to get it all back to you plus more. A large portion of the administration's strategy focuses on detecting and preventing future biological and viral threats, efforts that will require the rebuilding of the healthcare system and workforce. Since the pandemic began in 2020, thousands of healthcare workers have left their jobs. I wonder if they realize that's because of their vaccine mandates. And the fact that they closed down entire parts of hospitals when they outlawed elective surgeries and cancer screenings and stuff like that. But nope, that's not it. They just know. And, you know, you child brained Politico reader, you've already been saying for at least the last decade that we need a complete overhaul of our health care system. In fact, that's what they tried to accomplish in Obamacare. They wanted universal health care. I wonder if all this money that they're saying is going to pandemic preparedness is actually just part of that same overhaul to make sure that everybody is locked into their government medical system without any choice on where else to turn. 
The new U.S. plan prioritizes training and expanding a specialized healthcare workforce that can help contain the spread of potentially dangerous pathogens and equitably protect the health of Americans and people around the world. One of the senior administration officials said, oh, equitably got it. So there's an equity program built into the pandemic preparedness program. I guess so. Hey, that's science. Biden's plan also lays out a strategy for preventing pandemics and biological incidents that come from accidental and deliberate sources, such as a lab leak. Another senior administration official said part of the plan is to work with other countries on international norms for lab safety and biosecurity. The U.S. is also completing an interagency review of efforts to strengthen responsible conduct for biological research. Isn't that crazy? They're preparing in case there might be a lab leak. It would be accidental. And they're actually putting these standards in worldwide so that the accident doesn't happen in America. Because in America, everything works perfect. We can study viruses that we create that have an 80% kill rate because in America, everything works perfect. The problem is in the international communities. Now, is America funding those labs around the world? Yes. Are they working with those labs to develop these pathogens? Also, yes. But hey, they're international. So if mistakes do occur, well, then, you know, those other countries, they just don't have the same kind of oversight that we have here in the United States. So rats, something's gone wrong again. I mean, not again. Something's gone wrong for the first time. COVID-19 definitely wasn't a bioweapon created in a lab that leaked or was just taken out. And labs don't leak. If labs leaked, that might say that the science isn't totally responsible. And that can't be true about the science. The science never gets anything wrong. And remember, Anthony Fauci is the science. That's what he told us. If there's anyone who has never done anything wrong, it's Anthony Fauci. Tonight will be the second episode of my show, What We Missed on Badlands Media. That's going to be at 1030 Eastern Time. And I will be joined by a man named Keith Wilkins, who many people know as Political Moonshine. And we are going to walk through how COVID-19, the pandemic, was actually enterprise fraud. So check that out. If you're around tonight, I'll put the links up on Telegram and Truth Social. It's going to be on the Badlands Media Rumble channel. And remember to have a look at the real Anthony Fauci movie. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!